The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Andrew Martin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ the King. I'm our youth pastor. And it is my privilege uh, to welcome you here to worship together this morning. And we're going to be exploring Psalm 119 together, so I'd invite you to please turn there with me in your Bibles. And to help us, um, help us get our bearings on this massive psalm, I want to tell you that you hold in your hands before your eyes a literary masterpiece. One of the first things you may notice is that this psalm is divided into stanzas, stanzas that are separated from one another by a series of very intriguing words. You'll see Aleph, Beit, Gimel. And what these words represent, they are the Hebrew letters of the Hebrew alphabet, as we would spell and pronounce them in English. And this poem is also an acrostic. So as you look through it, uh, whatever letter heads that stanza, so for the very first one, Aleph, Every verse in the Hebrew begins with the letter Aleph and so forth all the way through. And we're going to be looking at the second to last letter. We're going to be looking at Sin and Sheen. So please turn a few pages over uh, to verse 161. And as you look at this, uh, this, this letter, he, uh, Sin and Sheen, it actually looks a lot like our capital W. So kids, if you know how to write a capital W, kind of like in a, in a very curving fashion, you actually already know how to write a Hebrew word or a Hebrew letter, which is pretty awesome. And the only difference, you might say, well, there's two words here, seen and sheen. What's the difference? The only difference is the same letter, but the pronunciation is different. And that is determined by whether you place a dot in the upper left-hand corner or a dot in the upper right-hand corner. That's the only difference there. And this letter, uh, we actually hear and use it all the time. Our local city of Salem, which is a Hebrew word, begins with this letter. And also, one of my favorite Hebrew words, shalom, begins with this letter. Shalom, God's peace, the peace that he gives to his people through Jesus. And so I pray that this morning, as we read this majestic psalm, that our majestic God would use it to shape us to live majestic, beautiful lives as we obey him no matter what we may face in this life. So let's read this passage together, verses 161 through 168. Follow along with me as I read. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Well, Father, we thank you for this beautiful psalm that you have given us. And we pray that as we read it and as we study it together this morning, that your spirit would press these truths deep into our hearts. We pray that you would transform us to be people who increasingly stand in awe of your word, who increasingly love you and your word. 
and who increasingly live into the hope in your word, no matter what we may face. And it is in the name of Jesus, whose power makes us possible, and whose name we ask. Amen. Well, at the very beginning of this stanza, we see that the psalmist is in a lot of trouble. Look at the beginning of verse 161. He says, princes persecute me without cause. Now, the psalmist never reveals their name. We don't know their identity. But as we read the entire psalm together, it becomes very clear that they are a member of God's covenant people who is, who is trying fervently to live in faithful obedience to the Lord. And as this first verse shows us, there are powerful people in his life who are persecuting him, who are bringing much suffering to him because of his faithfulness to God. And though this psalm was written thousands of years ago, this is something that we can all relate to very closely today. A number of years ago, I was at a work meeting. It was not here at Christ the King, so as I tell this story, don't get nervous. This did not happen here. Uh, but I was in a meeting, and all of my colleagues were seated around the table, and during, the mo during that meeting, one of them announced uh, that they had made a very personal life decision. And I was grieved as I heard them announce this decision they had made of how they were going to live because it was very clear, there was no doubt that this was in direct opposition to God's word, that the choices they were making were not how God wants for any person to live. It was not how he had designed us. But my heart wasn't simply sad to hear this. I also began to feel nervous. I began to feel a little bit afraid because as I listened to my colleagues around the table talking, they were all congratulating this person. They were all affirming this decision. And I knew that I was going to be expected to say something. And I knew that whatever I said, I could not affirm what they were saying. I could not congratulate them if I was going to be faithful to the Lord. There was no way I could condone this. And I wondered, hey, as I'm faithful to the Lord in this, am I going to suffer? Because this colleague wasn't just simply a colleague. Like many of you, people you work with or you live with, these are people that are dear to us. These are people that are close to us, that we love and care for. And this was what this person was like. This was a dear friend. And I wondered, well, will our friendship end? And you may also wonder, did, Andrew, did you, did you end up suffering in other ways? Did your other colleagues ostracize you? for not holding a belief that is, or for holding a belief that is very unpopular or that some might even consider hateful? Would you suffer professionally for standing up for things that are unacceptable in many people's eyes? Now, I was, I was very, very fortunate. I'm very thankful because the Lord in that moment, he gave me a way by his grace, by his wisdom, he gave me a way, a way to, to remain faithful to the Lord while also maintaining these relationships. But we know that that's, that's not always how it goes. Things don't always turn out so nicely, right? I mean, you know this. I know some of you are probably facing pressure from your colleagues or from even your, your direct superiors or people all the way at the top in your places of business who might be pressuring you to do things that you know are unethical in the workplace. Others may have friends who have basically come to you and said, I know what you believe. And if you want us to remain friends, you need to do away with that belief. Pick your pick. Because if you don't do this, our friendship is over. And you might even be experiencing this within your own families. You might be experiencing chastisement or even ridicule from parents, 
from siblings, from children or grandchildren, because of the beliefs that you hold. And in those moments, <laughs> in these moments where all of us who have powerful people in our lives with the power to make us suffer for following Jesus, we may all feel very tempted to disobey the Lord to make the pain stop. We just want it to stop. And we'll be tempted to do whatever, whatever it takes to make that happen. So the question we need to explore together this morning, the question we're going to dive deeply into is, what makes it possible to pursue faithfulness to God even when we are facing persecution? That is the question we're going to look at this morning. And we begin seeking this answer by first asking another question. What made it possible for the psalmist to remain faithful to the Lord? Look with me in verse 161. He says, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. The psalmist is looking in awe at God's word. You see, by God's grace, his eyes have been opened to see the world for how it truly is. His eyes have been opened so that he can see no matter how awesome these powerful princes may appear, there is an even greater, more awesome one who he is to fear above all else, no matter what. And we see this wisdom has taken deep root in his heart, and we see it play out again in verse 168, where he says, I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. The psalmist knows that as fierce as these princes may be, there is an even greater one that he must fear, one even greater to whom he must give an account for his life. And it is to this great one, the Lord, that he remains faithful. And friends, this is the teaching that King Jesus gives us himself in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, where he says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus and the psalmist, they are putting our view of power into perspective. They are showing us that power ultimately belongs to the Lord, and it is He alone whom we are to fear. He alone to whom we are to stand in awe, no matter what. But the psalmist, he not only has a holy biblical awe for God and His Word, he also looks at God's Word with fascination. I mean, he can hardly contain himself as he exalts in the wonders of God's Word. Look in verse 165. He says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. He says, if you look, so if you look back in verse 105 of this psalm, he tells us why people who obey God's word have great peace, why they can have great confidence. Verse 105 tells us, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is a lamp that shows us the right way to go. It gives us light to show us the right direction in which our lives should be moving so that nothing uh, can make anyone who loves God's word stumble. One theologian, just to paraphrase, puts it this way, paraphrasing this man, nothing can make the faithful fail to walk well through this world. Y'all, don't miss what the psalmist is saying. The psalmist is literally holding up a silver platter and presenting to us the answer to one of the deepest, most fundamental questions any of us will ever ask. We will ask, what does it look like to live a good life? 
What does it look like to walk well through this world? What does it look like to flourish? We are all asking this question, and the psalmist, in very clear words, is giving us the answer. Do you want to walk well? Do you want to flourish? Do you want peace? Walk in God's ways. Because if you love his ways and you walk in them, nothing can make you stumble. Doesn't mean we won't face hard times. We will. But we can do so with the confidence that we are walking the way we were meant to walk. This is what the psalmist is offering us through the gospel. And so it makes perfect sense that realizing this is what God's word is like, recognizing that this is the reality of Scripture, it makes perfect sense that the psalmist continually praises God's word. Look in verse 164. He says, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. In verse 162, he says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Kids, when, when the psalmist says that reading God's word is like finding great spoil, he's not saying that reading the Bible is like finding a large pile of rotten, spoiled bananas or something like that. That's normally how, what we think of when we use that word spoil, but that's not what he means. Do you want to know what he means? Of course you do. I'll tell you. What he means when he says reading God's word is like finding great spoil, he's saying reading God's word, that word spoil is another word for treasure. He says when you read God's word, it's like finding great treasure. Now, how many, how many of y'all, and, and you don't have to be a kid to answer this, how many of y'all have ever wanted to be on a treasure hunt? I mean, I, I, yeah, I see, yep, kids of all ages raising their hands, nodding their heads, that's good. And it, have you ever seen the movie National Treasure? Anyone ever seen that movie? So it's one of my favorite movies. And it's the story of a group of people who are looking for this long lost treasure. And at the end of the movie, so spoiler alert, you've all been fairly warned. Please don't plug your ears. What I'm going to say is important. But at the, end of this, at the end of this movie, the heroes, they enter into this large chamber. And as they look around, this chamber is filled with piles and mountains of lost treasure. Piles of it. Now, if you were there with my main man, Nicolas Cage, if you were there standing in this room looking at this treasure, what do you think your response would be? You would probably rejoice. You would probably look at all this stuff and say, that's what I'm talking about. And I would be right there with you saying the same thing. And kids, when the psalmist says, when he reads the Bible, that's his response. He reads the Bible, he looks at God's word, and he goes, this is awesome. This is what I'm talking about. This is what good life looks like. And so seven times a day, he rejoices and praises God for his word. And so boys and girls, men and women, children of all ages, including me, let me just encourage you, go on a treasure hunt every day. Have you ever wanted to just be able to open up a treasure chest and have just diamonds and jewels spill out and fill up your room? I mean, that'd be pretty awesome, right? The psalmist is saying, you can have something even better than that. He is saying, when you open God's word, you can have treasure. You can have true life just spill out of the pages as through the spirit, God takes those words and fills up your mind and fills up your heart and fills up your life with true life. That is what you can have. So read that word every day. Kids, some of you may not be able to read yet. That's okay. Go to your parents. Go to your siblings, say, please take me on a treasure hunt today. Open God's word for me. Let me see this abundant life. Share it with me, please. I must have it. And as we do that, the Lord in his kindness, he will take those words and through his spirit, he will open our eyes so that like the psalmist, we can see life for how it truly is. We can see who holds the true power. 
And we can be so fascinated by his word. We can be so amazed by it, but we cannot help but walk in faithfulness. And that's his gift. And as we do so, we can also love God's word as we are fascinated by it. Look with me in verse 163. The psalmist says, not only does he stand in awe and fascination, but he says, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. In verse 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. His heart has been filled with love for the Lord's words, and this love empowers his pursuit of faithfulness. It's what makes it possible. And y'all, this is so critical. This is really important. Because in Proverbs 4.23, we are told, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Jesus says the same thing in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks Friends, Jesus is proclaiming a profound truth here. What he is saying is that the heart is the engine and the guidance system of our lives, and we will pursue faithfulness to the things that we love. And it is love for God's word that makes it possible for the psalmist to be faithful to his word, even when he's suffering. This this love-powered faithfulness was put on shining display in the life of a young man that you probably have never heard of, but that anyone in this, in this room who believes in Jesus will spend eternity with in heaven. I cannot wait to meet this person. His name was Ivan, and he was a Christian in 1970s Russia. Ivan was also a soldier, a low-ranking soldier in the Soviet army. And his Christian faith had brought him into, face-to-face with persecution at the hands of very powerful princes in his lives, at the hands of his commanding officers, his superiors. Time and time again, they had taken Yvonne and they had interrogated him and they had pressured him, saying, you must turn away from these Christian beliefs. You cannot hold them anymore. We command you to stop. But he just couldn't. He would not. And one day, he he received a very terrible order. They said, okay, Yvonne, here's what we're going to do. Tonight at 10 p.m., You're going to hear the bugle play. All of your comrades will be warm in their beds, but you are going to go outside. And you're going to stand in the street, and you're going to stand there until you renounce your faith in Christ. That's what's going to happen. Now that night, the forecast was supposed to be 13 degrees below zero. And he was ordered to stand this watch in his summer uniform. And so that night, as he heard the music play, he stepped out into the street. His feet crunched the bitter cold snow. His eyes watered as the cold wind blasted him in the face and seared his skin. And he stood there until 3 a.m., five long, excruciating hours before he was finally allowed to return back inside. But it didn't end that night. Now, Yvonne had had to repeat the same routine for the next 12 nights in a row. And he stood there in the cold, and people would come to him and say, Are you ready to come in? He'd say, are you going to stand out here all night? And he'd say, I I don't see what else is possible because I cannot abandon my faith. And it continued for for two years. The persecutions ramped up. And eventually, Yvonne, he he recognized he was no dummy. He knew that he would not survive. 
He knew that his faith was going to cost him his life. And before he paid the ultimate price for faithfulness, he wrote a letter to his parents. And he, he shared with them what was making it possible for him to endure all these things. I'd like to read to you just a, a small portion from that letter and pray for me as I do it that I can get through this. He said, my dear parents, the Lord has showed the way to me and I have decided to follow it. I will now have more severe and bigger battles than I have had till now, but I do not fear them. He goes before me. It is because I love Jesus more than myself. I listen to him, though my body does fear somewhat or does not wish to go through everything. I do this because I do not value my life as much as I value him. Like the psalmist, it was possible for Yvonne to pursue faithfulness to God and his word because God had given Yvonne the gift of love for God and his word. And friends, Yvonne, his love, his sacrifice was not in vain because when we love God's word, we can do so with great confidence because the same God that gives us love is the same God that gives us great hope. We can do it living into the hope in God's word. You see, the one true God that the psalmist loves gives us hope for salvation. Look in verse 166. He says, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. Friends, as we read God's word, we see over and again God's promises to Adam and to Eve, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to rescue and to care for them, to bring salvation. And we see in every single one of those promises, we see the Lord go on with power and faithfulness to keep every single one of those promises. And this call to hope in the Lord and his salvation is the same call that we see, receive in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 4, 19, it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Hope for God's salvation empowers his people's faithfulness because God is faithful to save his people. One of my favorite scenes in a, in a movie is at the very end of The Return of the King and the Lord of the Rings tri trilogy. And in that scene, we find the hero Aragorn. He's, he is barricaded in a fortress called Helm's Deep. And he's there with another king named King Theoden and, and his army from Rohan. And they can feel their hearts pounding in their chest as they hear the relentless pounding of the battering ram that is yielded by an infinite army of darkness that is beating down the doors and coming to destroy them. And as they see the door and the wood begin to splinter under the relentless weight of this battering ram, the resolve of King Theoden's heart begins to splinter as well. And with a look of just utter despair, he looks at Aragorn and says, it is over. The fortress is taken. What can men do against such relentless hate? And Aragorn goes to him, he tries to, he tries to encourage him, he tries to bolster his strength and encourage him to fight on. And as he does this, though, he, he hears his friend Gimli off to the side, quietly say, the sun is rising. And Aragorn looks up and he sees golden beams piercing through a stone window. And he hears the words of Gandalf echo in his ears. 
Look for my coming. At first light on the fifth day, at dawn, look to the east. And you suddenly hear metal begin to clatter against metal as he draws his sword, as he puts his helmet on. Leather creaks as they climb into the saddles on their, on their mighty horses. And Aragorn gets King Theoden and then they lead a charge out of the castle to continue fighting faithfully for their people. And as they, as they wade into this army of darkness, as they are surrounded by it, Aragorn looks up one more time, this time to the east. And as he looks, he hears the cry of a mighty white stallion as Gandalf crests the hill. And in his wake, he brings a mighty, heavily armed cavalry that pours down the hill in a cascade of light and goodness to bring salvation for their friends. Aragorn was able to fight on, even though it looked like all was lost, because he had the hope of Gandalf's promise to come and save them. And he kept that promise. Friends, when we read God's word, like Aragorn, God's promises echo through our hearts and echo through our minds. His promises of salvation, his promises of help for the fight that we face today and for ultimate deliverance when the ultimate mighty King Jesus appears like lightning from the east to save us. This is the hope that is on offer through Jesus and is what enables us to pursue faithfulness even when we are surrounded. But I imagine that as you hear these words, as you hear these truths, if you're like me, there's probably many times when you feel a lot less like Aragorn, you feel a lot less like Yvonne, and you can relate much more closely to King Theoden. Because in those moments, we can all just have this, this sense, this deep sense of despair that says, it's over. What could we possibly do? Why not just quit? Why not just give up? And some of you may even be feeling deep shame because maybe you have. Maybe there have been moments where you've surrendered. People have challenged you and you said, no, I don't, I don't believe those things. Or you've been asked to do something, you're like, okay, I'll, if, you, if you'll stop hurting me, I'll do what you're asking me to do, even though I know that it goes against God's word. And friends, if, if that is your situation, and we've all been there, I just want to encourage you to lift up your heads and hear the good news of the gospel. And that is this, that no matter how you have ever failed, no matter how you have ever surrendered, no matter how you have ever given in, there is one who has been faithful on your behalf, and his name is King Jesus. You see, Jesus did not give in when the powerful people in the world were torturing him. Instead, he remained faithful to God and to his word and showed his love for God by going to the cross and dying in our place. That is what Jesus did, and when he died, he also showed his love for you and for me. For people who fail, for people who surrender, for people who quit and give up. Jesus died for those things. He died for you and for me so that we could have the hope of salvation. We could have the hope of forgiveness for all those ways we've messed it up. But it's not just hope for salvation, for forgiveness of sins. That is absolutely true. It's not just hope for eternal life when he comes back. That's true also. It is also hope for abundant, true life and change in this life as well. You see, the hope that is true for the psalmist, the awe that he has for God's word, the love that he has for God's word, those things can begin to become true for us as well. 
You see, Jesus came and he said, I come that they might have abundant life. And that includes having our eyes opened to see power for what it truly is. It includes having our, our, our hearts just completely awed by God's word as his spirit changes and transforms us. So that like the psalmist, we can't help but be faithful because that's what God has changed us to be. And he invites us to be a part of this work. You want to hear something cool? Everything that God is doing in our lives, it is by his grace and it is by his power. And yet, in his kindness, he says, let me, let me invite you in to be a part of that. I want to let you be a part of that. And the way we can participate in the work he's doing is by reading his word. And as we read it, like the father who came to Jesus and knelt before him and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. As we read, we can kneel before the Lord and say, Lord, as I read these things, help me to have hope. Help me to have awe. Help me to have a deep love for you. Make me more like our hero, King Jesus. And friends, that is a prayer that he will answer. Let's ask him to do that right now. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you do not ignore the hard things that we go through in life. You are keenly aware of what we suffer and you are keenly aware of the ways we have failed you and that that is why you sent your son to be faithful for us. Lord, thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for the hope that we have in him. And we ask now that you would give us a deep love for your word that we could not help but read it. And that as we read it, we would have deep awe and deep love for you. And that by your mercy, by your grace, we would become more and more people who remain faithful even when we face suffering. Help this to be true in our lives by the power of your spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen.